This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Hidden in the locks of Ireland dwells a creature so violent that its attacks were known throughout oral history for centuries in the British Isles. It was called the Dolwarku. Reported by some as a massive, unidentified, otter-like beast, and known by others as the Irish Crocodile, its haunting screech would call out to its mate before disappearing back beneath murky waters only if one was lucky enough to avoid its attack. Referenced in poetry and local lore, the Dolwarku is still believed to exist in locks and river systems of Ireland. But is this creature just a product of local myth, or could such a beast have truly existed, or possibly still exist today? Join us on Into the Portal as we search for the legendary Dolwarku. Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber A. And I'm Andrew McKay. Welcome back, everybody, mm-hmm. to another episode this week where we're getting into something cryptozoological again. Yeah, yeah, which crypto is really crazy. Exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we do, a little bit of housekeeping. We have a couple of new Apple Podcast reviews, which was sweet. Ah, yeah. uh, so a couple on the American one, and actually one over on that Canadian one too, and which I was great. Kind of missed it. It was like <laughs> from like the seventh. But. Oh my gosh, was it really? Sometimes they don't populate though. It either, just right? showed up now. So. so we got one from Oaky Lane titled "Fun Von Fun." And this one literally just says, yep, that's it. That's the review. So that's one of my favorite hands-down reviews we've gotten so far. Nice. That was five stars, so thank you so much. Uh, we had another one from Bonesmith1892, mm. and he said, love the podcast, great to listen to very good research. I feel connected to them. And he also congratulated us on our engagement, so that Aww, was really nice. So thank really you for that sweet. one. Thank you so much, Bonesmith. And then we also had one from Got B... Got BFB? Mm, I guess so. <laughs> Five-star review. Um, lengthy and a good mix of humor. Sweet. So, yeah, that was just a nice, solid review from <laughs> well, Canadian. Research. I thought that was really nice, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we don't get a lot of Canadian ones, so that's why it was really, it's a treat. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. So, thank you, you guys, and keep those rolling in if you haven't had a chance to leave one yet. Definitely. One more thing before we get rolling here. Actually, two more things. <laughs> we got a new patron. Oh, sweet. Anthony, thank you so much. We yeah. really appreciate you hopping on board. And, yeah, uh, stoked to have you. Yeah. In our you little... won't regret it. Exactly. Yep, I don't think so at all. Ooh. No, that's <laughs> awesome. Good <laughs> <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> and anyways, we did announce some new goals too, so we just wanted to re- reiterate those. Uh, it's on our social media if you guys missed it. Um, but yeah, we have kind of decided on a few new goals for our Patreon. And that includes something that we've humped and hawed about over the years, like even before we started the show, obviously. Mm -hmm. And we really want to go on a road trip. Definitely. And we want to go to Europe and take the show with us and do it on the road. Absolutely. So 
we think Europe's the best place to go. It's where history is rich and myths are made. So Definitely. lots going on there. Yeah, and like we've mentioned like a castle Hoska. Underground Prague. Like Eastern Europe is rich. Like, Or even like in uh, the UK too, we can go to Leap Castle. All sorts Absolutely. of cool stuff. And so part of Patreon obviously is you guys in the community get to be involved. You get to help us create this sort of trip and see the things that you want covered on Absolutely. there. Absolutely, and just like be a part of the whole experience, right? Well, and rather it, than yeah. it just going towards, you know, things like equipment upgrades or different things like that. And like, that's what most shows do. And that's always true. But, mm-hmm. you know, we want to make it like more engaging and more fun for everybody. So we just want to bring you guys cool stuff. Definitely. Yeah. And we would definitely need some new equipment if we're going to go on the road. So, <laughs> yeah, we so would that need is something portable. In the, in there. <laughs> but, sure. um, and one other thing too, before we get going here... <clears throat> We have a new contest. Yes, we do. And so we're getting that started this week. It's going to run for a month. Yeah. And it's in partnership with our new sponsor. Yeah. So we, we kind of alluded to that last week. Uh, Coffee Gator is our new official sponsor mm-hmm. for 2019 onward. Yes. We're really stoked because we are huge coffee fiends. and so Coffee fuels a lot of the show. For sure. I can use a cup right now. And the research. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah. So Coffee Gator, they gave us some really cool stuff to sample. And so we're just kind of um, throwing it out to you guys too. So Up for Grabs is a French press. Uh, it's amazing. It's, stainless steel? It's all stainless steel. It's one of the highest quality French presses I have ever seen. And Look. it comes with this really cool canister mm-hmm. thing too, which yeah. I really like. So you can store your coffee if you're going on the road and you're, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So basically we're going to be doing a trivia contest for you guys. Yeah. And it's going to be really fun. So every week on the show, we're going to pose a new question and you guys, uh, you can go on the website. Uh, we have an, a special coffee gator contest uh, tab on our website now. And you can just fill out a quick form that basically is just your email address and your name and then your answer and then you're entered to win so yeah every week you can enter with a new question and it's all going to be based from past episodes from the show (laughs) exactly so super fun i can't wait i can't wait i'm excited exactly so the very first question is going to be announced right after the promo break this week so about midway through the show so look out for that one yes and as always, going forward uh, with Coffee Gator, if you go on their website and browse around, decide you guys want something, you can use um, our new promo code. So it's Quark, spelled Q-U-A-R-K, and you can get 15% off your purchase. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And they've got some sales on right now. So. They have like they have some sales on and they've got unique coffee stuff. It's not what you mm-hmm. expect. They've got some funky funky stuff it's really unique i'm 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 really stoked that we've got them as a sponsor the design is cool and the quality is cool everything that we've seen so far you even said to me like the logo like reminded you of a cryptid almost it's like a Mm -hmm. it's a it's a gator but it almost looks like yeah it's it's very cool very (laughs) fitting for us actually it's very fitting for this episode too right because we're getting into a little bit of the cryptozoological realm here and yeah let's get into it okay cool So, today we are discussing a a beast that hails from the British Isles, and it is known as the Dowarku, or the Dobarku. It's basically Mm -hmm. two different main pronunciations of this thing. The Dowarku. The Dowarku. That's what I'm going with. Yeah, you're going with the (laughs) Scottish accent? Okay. (laughs) No, it's not even. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of close. Apparently there's something similar in Scottish lore, so. Definitely. There's a lot of crossover, Mm -hmm. for sure, in the British Isles, Scotland, Ireland. So, what is this thing? Well, it's essentially supposed to be, allegedly, a monstrous, massive, otter-like creature known to inhabit the swampy wetlands of Ireland and possibly Scotland as well. It's alternatively anglicized as a dobarchu, 
but the word derives from the Gaelic word meaning water hound, and it has been known mostly as this for centuries as a water hound, although there have been some other names for it as well. Hound fits this really, really well, though, in, in, in our opinion, the mm. otter, king otter, things like that that we'll get into. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so most of the people who do catch a glimpse of this creature call it a hound. But yeah, it, it also translates to master otter, which is the anchu. Or sorry, sorry, rather, the dobarchu translates to master otter, the anchu translates to water dog. Hmm. So right off the bat, it seems like we're dealing with something mammal, but things can get a little hairy along the way here. But essentially, it is a water beast that's not to be messed with. Interesting. All right, so... There's been a lot of talk about this cryptid over the centuries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a lot of um, folklorists have picked up the trail and have done a lot of studies about that, um, especially from the 1900s onward. There was this one in particular in Myth, Legend, and Romance, an encyclopedia of Irish folk tradition. There was this guy, Dr. Dacey Olgain, mm-hmm. <laughs> who, yeah, basically described it as the King of the Otters. He published this book in 1990. But, um, yeah, he thought of it as a massive male otter that rules over them all. Interesting. Much of what he said, actually, was kind of more of a reiteration of what Dr. Catherine Briggs was sort of coming up with in, I believe it was the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he just kind of furthered it, kind of um, clarified it, modernized it slightly. But he also sort of added, well, I don't know if he, he came up with this on his own, but he basically clarified it for Western audiences. The idea that this otter is, it's kind of mythical. It's its like this pure white sort of creature. Yeah. Which is not really widely found in the world. Like, you know, not you don't really typically, see like white. albino things are definitely rare. Albino rhinoceros. It's albino. not even fully albino though, because it does have like a, um, it's got tips that are black on its ears. Right. And it's also got like a diamond shape or no, it's not a diamond shape. It's a cross on its back. Interesting. Yeah, and apparently this thing never sleeps. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, as, as the sort of more out there legends will tell you. Yeah, but it is kind of confusing, right? Because you get these things, otter, dog, crocodile. That seems to be That's the most formidable. of different things. Like the crocodile is the thing that doesn't really fit for me because it's obviously reptilian versus mammalian. Yeah, that, that one's sort of a more modern thing, I think. It's just been now it's been termed almost because of cryptozoology as the Irish crocodile. Okay. Uh, yeah. But even earlier, right? Like this was 1800s in the Royal 1896 in the Royal uh, Journal of the Antiquities of Ireland mm-hmm. and this Miss L.A. Walkerton or Walkington, I guess, described it physically as being more of like a half wolf dog and half fish. Ooh, interesting. So that's even weirder. Like, are they just saying fish because it's in the water, or is there scales and fur, or like what? Yeah, what I mean, obviously, on? like a seal or something like that would look pretty slippery, like a like a eel or something aquatic would be. But a fish has scales, so that's odd. Yeah, it's almost like a mermaid wolf. And then, in addition, obviously, the length, like the size of this thing, is a big deal, right? Because some people have said it's probably about like five to six to seven feet in length maybe longer. Um, there have been sightings in areas that are like hotspots for Dubachu or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, that have been described as much larger, like 40 feet. So I don't know what people are seeing up so there. So that, that's almost like a, a Nessie or an Ogopogo where it's very it bar- similar. varies widely. Mm-hmm, exactly. So yeah, there's been a lot of oral traditions that have sort of um, perpetuated the myth of the Dobartki. 
the Doarku. Let's go with Doarku. Doarku. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Doarku. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just getting carried away. <laughs> you can't help it. You can't help yourself. There's lots of like poetry though, which is interesting. We actually have one further in the notes here that um, is quite lewd. Maybe yeah, you could say yeah, it's I, not masterful poetry or anything like that. But it's more of a. Yeah. It gets the point across. Yeah, it I does guess. indeed. But again, right? Like, so there's the mythology, but then there's also very real sightings and deaths, even that are attributed. Because apparently, this thing is pretty violent. Right. It's not the nicest thing. You definitely wouldn't want to run into it. No. So like <laughs> when you're washing your. <laughs> Washing your laundry or, no. or bathing, as some people have been known to do when they come across this thing. But it's basically one of the most vicious aquatic predators ever to haunt the murky depths of the yeah. Emerald Isle. Yeah, get with a there. particular taste for human flesh, according mm. to some, yeah. And it's very fast, too. It's fast, and it's fast in and out of the water, based mm-hmm. on the story. So it'll, it'll approach it, its prey quickly in the water, and then if it has to pursue it on land, it's said to move almost as quickly, which is... Which is interesting, too, because you'd think something that dwells more in the water maybe wouldn't be able to run as quickly on land, but there's things that run fast. Like, I think ferrets. hippos are fast on land, too. I'm, I'm thinking, like, a, a super-sized ferret would be really fast. Yeah. Almost, like, because, like, if it had, like, really short appendages, then it would be able to, like, use them as, like, fins, too, in the water. I don't know. Almost like, you know, like how otters do with their yeah. back fins. Yeah. Feet things. I can picture that. Yeah. So, but yeah, like stories of this violent, of of it being violent have existed for a really long time in oral tradition in the British Isles, along with like obviously a ton of other cryptids and mythical creatures that are aquatic that are linked to water. And we, we've talked about that before with water being a portal and there's all, all kinds of spiritual entities linked with water. Mm-hmm. But we're kind of, what we're trying to figure out is, is it a spiritual entity? Is it a cryptozoological phenomena here? Totally. But all of the stories, regardless of which side you're on, speak of it being just that, extremely violent. Obviously, attacking humans kind of makes sense, but there are also stories of them specifically attacking dogs, hmm. which I found to be kind of interesting because yeah. dogs are like, I guess dogs are man's best friend. Maybe they would see them as a direct enemy if man was hunting these things and using dogs to track them or something like that. Okay. I don't know what the connection exactly there, hmm. but yeah, I mean... It, it's I, I find that all anyway. Dogs, yeah. I mean, well, maybe they see a bit of themselves, and so it is like this sort of um, almost. It could be half territorial, half aggression kind of thing, where it's like maybe I don't know. They yeah. are they they seemingly are one of the more apex like predators in the area. If you want to consider them to be an actual animal, real or not, animal, like <laughs> I'd like to for this episode. <laughs> but they're not said to be like confrontational. Rather, they attack very quickly and without warning, so they don't provoke anything they're more of like a, that reminds me of a cat, pounce though. on you yeah exactly Ooh, okay. more of a big cat for Stealth. sure and for them silence is the name of the game so they're moving through the water as gives them an advantage and although yeah like we said before although they move just quickly in the water they move just as quickly on land <laughs> so that's and apparently are just as quiet on land which is odd that's it has an extremely powerful jaw which clamps its victims dragging them beneath the surface and of course having them drown making the fight that's much easier, easier for the yeah. dobroku which is an accurate way a predator, like a crocodile and things like that. They'll grab an antelope at the side of the water and drag it in. Yeah. Sounds like a real... Okay. Sounds like a real attack. It's not even... It's an opportunist to a certain extent, but definitely a predator. Yeah. I have a quote here from just from uh, Cryptid Wiki on the Dobarku. It says, uh, They were said to attack in groups or pairs. First, one Dobarku will attack, and if it fails, then its companions will rush to attack as well. They will follow prey through water onto land. 
That makes a lot of sense because of one of the main legends from the 1700s that we're going to get into quite a bit of depth in, but that totally makes sense. It almost seems like it is limitless in its pursuit. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's one of the, that to me speaks to a more mythical or spiritual like character to this thing because it seemingly is something that once it's attached itself or it's kind of like gone after you, you're, you're. You have yeah. to face it, which kind of plays into a lot of just important values in myth making and things like that. Like maybe the yeah. Dorakiu as the Dorakiu. You want me to <laughs> say whatever you the want? Dovaki. The you Dovaki. You say. However. Do you like the V? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what did you mean by that? <laughs> Your face looks so confused. <laughs> I was a little confused. <laughs> you like the V? No, there's there's so many different pronunciations. You can go with whatever you want. Yeah. But well, okay. So this is interesting though. Like, not all these legends are negative. That's and true. There's there's more to this than. And again, this is more on the sort of folklorist side of things and less on the cryptozoological. But mm-hmm. a lot of legends kind of speak to the idea that the Dobar Dovaku is a lucky charm. Right. And according to these stories, an inch of its pelt can prevent a ship from sinking. So I don't know how you get an inch of its pelt. You gotta go face this thing, I guess, which again speaks to this whole, it's almost like a hero's journey where you have to like overcome it. But anyways, it can also save a horse from injury, supposedly. Hmm. I don't know how that is. Like if it has an inch of the pelt again, is that? It's gotta be. And again, it can save a man from injury by gunshot. So it's Ooh, almost that's like a more modern. That's weird thing it because handle. then it's almost saying as if you are invincible as soon as you have this. It's like a unicorn type creature to this. Yeah, people. but the Dovaku is essentially not, not like that at all, right? It can easily be killed, as we've seen in stories. Right. If you want to believe, if you believe any of this, as far as I mean, I, I mean that's just yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess that's like that part of it is the could be the. I don't know. Like that's the, that's yeah, definitely the folklore aspect of a real creature, just like how people have myths around like elephants or whatever, or around the Very polar true. bear and things like that. Or I guess even like with dragons, right? You slay the dragon, you get, I don't even know, like the tooth of the dragon, the claw of the dragon, something sort of like a talisman. Yeah. Something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. But most of the time though, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty negative in mm. terms of it being extremely violent. Like the oral stories tell of this thing attacking suddenly, viciously, without apparent provocation. And basically there's been, it's been credited with numerous deaths of real people. Like you said, we're going to get into that in just a second. Most of the testimony regarding the Dobarchu, though, is that its lethal nature has been passed on by only by word of mouth. So we're dealing with hmm. a lot of speculation here. There's not early. a ton of proof. There's not a lot of written documents referencing the Dober, Doberku from way back in the day. So we're working with oral tradition here, which we often are with a lot of these creatures, like the um, the Diprotodon and the Bunyip in Australia, things like that, right? Oh, totally. But of course, there is definitely one account that has yes. been etched in stone, literally. Indeed. So on a 17th century tombstone located in the community of Glenade, Count, Glen, Glenade in the county of Leitrim, Ireland, there is a tombstone of a woman's remains and a depiction of what many people believe is the Dobarku on the epitaph. I actually love that word more than mm-hmm. tombstone. <laughs> and it, it's it's basically, yeah, it looks like an otter-like beast with a spear being sort of thrust through it. And this thing is centuries old, centuries old tombstone. 
but we don't know exactly if this is depicting the Dobarku. It's kind of speculation. Yeah, it's kind of it's up for interpretation. We saw uh, a couple different uh, images, like, reproducing it, and it was very faint. Yeah, like... It, very faint. I'm going to try... We'll have a picture of it. Like, you guys should go look at it and interpret how, how you will yourselves. But essentially, it's supposed to be a, a creature depicted lying down with its head and neck flung backwards so that it lies flat along its back, basically, in, you hmm. know, in the throes of death. And a, some sort of a spear-ish, like, weapon is shown piercing the base of the creature's neck. Allegedly. Reemerging below its body and gripped, you know, by a human fist at its upper end. That's weird. I never saw that. I didn't I, see that in particular no, either. I saw more of like a crouching creature with like a, kind of a tail or a leg in the front and then like a tinier head. It's kind of, yeah, I don't know. Again, it's open for, to interpretation and it's obviously been weathered as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a, yeah, I don't know. But obviously the people in this in this county, in this area, believe it to be the a depiction of this. Let's get into that. Let's get into who exactly... Well, okay, so there, yeah, the the epitaph describes an account of this woman who goes by, well, locally she's known as Grain, but... Grainy Connolly. Grain, Grain, yeah, that makes sense, I guess. But she anglicizes it's Grace. Yes. And so, yeah, it describes how she essentially died. It's her, her grave. And, yeah, it's interesting. She was known as uh, Grain Connolly. Kept her maiden name, even though the man who she was married to was named McLaughlin. Right. <laughs> a very classic name, eh? Yeah. And they lived in this little town, um, Corvillia, which is close to Litrium, the, the county that you just right. mentioned there. And it's on the northwestern part of Glenade Lake. So Glenade Lake is one of those hotspot areas yes, where the Dovachu is known to exist. And so the first version, there's a lot of different versions of the story. So we'll go through just a couple of the main ones. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah. So, okay. Allegedly, this is one of the more official versions of the story. On September 22nd, 1722, Grace was killed by a beastly king otter known as the Dovaki. Mm -hmm. So apparently Grain or Grace was washing laundry in a nearby stream leading into Glenade Lake alone. When her husband heard screams from the homestead, he rushed to her aid, but by the time he arrived, her lifeless body was being mauled by a terrifying animal, known only as this mythical Dovacue. (laughs) Enraged, Grace's husband rushed the monster, who was sucking the blood from his dead wife, and shot the beast. In some versions, he actually runs back to the house and then returns to shoot the beast or stab it. In other versions. Mm-hmm. But anyways, um, and then it says here, the giant otter reared up, hissing in its final death throes. As it cried out, Grace's husband watched, so McLaughlin watched, as the second monster, the mate of the first, rose up out of the water, and the two struggled in a bloody fight. Eventually, the man returned to the shore, victorious over the two Dovakivis. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. In another version, though, he actually doesn't kill the second one, um, but he's actually pursued by it, and he ends up running back to the little village, and his brother gets him on horseback, and they book it out of the village, because everyone's <gasps> like, that thing's coming after yeah. you. And uh, and then, essentially, they go about 20 miles of running on horseback. So that's a long ways that's for ways. something to pursue. And then, essentially, they set this trap, they set up a bunch of ropes and everything, and, and basically, yeah, some sort of um, jimmy-rigged whatever. And this was right outside of a place known as Castle Garden Hill. 
and allegedly they trapped it successfully and then stabbed it outside the gates. Interesting. Yeah. That's a pretty epic version, man. 20 miles away and it's chasing after you. And of course, like that doesn't sound like a typical creature. Like a crocodile wouldn't pursue you that far or anything like that. No, it's almost like it's got a vengeance. So it's like, it's on a mission. That's what I meant by like, it seems to like lock in on you. It has almost human characteristics in that sense. Totally. Yeah. Vindictive, Mm -hmm. possibly. Yeah. There's a slightly different version of this too, like a third one that has become a part of the local folklore where the husband rushes to the side of the lake slash river only to find the bloody clothes of the woman and the mm. mighty beast lying on top of them. So no struggle, no fight, no screams from from the wife, but he must have heard one gone down and she's already gone. It's just bloody. Either that or the animal ate her. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, and of course, the Dolberku sees him approaching and makes a whistling sound, calling another animal just like it. So calling its mate. And likewise, the man calls his brother, so this version does have his brother as well, to come help him out. And they, again, two, two of them on horseback, they realize that they can't handle these things. They flee on horseback, and then they return later to the water's edge, provoke them again, and s- slay them mm. there. So they go back to the same location. So they weren't pursued for as long. That seems more likely to me. So this was actually all very beautifully captured in a poem mm-hmm. from the 1920s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it... Uh, yeah, it kind of describes in its sort of crude verses a scene of horrific detail. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to go ahead and read it here. All right. She having gone to bathe, it seems, within its waters clear, and not returning when she might, her husband fraught with fear, hastening to where he might find her, when, oh, to his surprise, her mangled form, still bleeding warm, straight late stretched before his eyes. <laughs> Under her bosom snow-white once, but now besmeared by gore. The dovaki reposing was his suffreting being over. I don't even know what that means. But <laughs> yeah, no, that's some weird Irish thing. Her, yeah, exactly. Her blood and entrails all around tinged with a reddish hue. Oh God, he cried, tis hard to bear, but what am I to do? <laughs> <laughs> that's one of those funny little, it's not even, I don't even know if you can call it a poem. Like it is a poem, obviously, but it's just like a, it's funny. It's like a little, you know, something that guys like working in the mind would, would sing exactly. to each other or it's a creepy thing you tell your kids so that totally. they don't go too close to the lake. It's quite late though, right? 1920s ish. Um, mm-hmm. it was dated too. And so it, it definitely speaks to how, the longevity of this myth. Definitely. I mean, people, and not just for things like this, like people really believe it. They do. Oh yeah, for sure. So there's a lot going on with this um, story. And I made a quick list here of like things like different versions and all that stuff. Like we already mentioned a few of them. The idea that McLaughlin either slayed the original beast with a, with a, uh, either a sword or with a gun. I don't know if that even really matters. Um, I thought what was more interesting was what Grace Connolly was doing at the time of her death. Yeah. <laughs> because a lot of it, like, back in the day, if you were bathing in a creek, I guess that was considered pretty, uh, loose or whatever. Yeah. And so a lot of people consider that to be not as uh, kosher of a story, if you want to say that. I but, find that so ridiculous considering there was no plumbing. So you're not having a shower at home, but you're not allowed to yeah. have a shower outside. What's Where the alternative? You shower? You have to shower within a bucket. And I've done that. Oh, yeah. Staying in Fiji, and it sucked. 
Do you just like take you stand in the bucket? No, no, no. Like you're literally like you, <laughs> you, sta- you stand in, in like a tub or whatever, like uh-huh. that would have a shower in it. Yeah. But there isn't. And then you fill up a tap in a bucket and then you gotta dump it over yourself. <laughs> ah, I see. Okay. Okay, I've never had to do that before. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. But there was also the um the discrepancies between the death of the second beast too. I thought that was interesting, the whole the elaboration of a pursuit up to twenty miles, you know? Yeah. Like is that just a product of many, many retellings and many versions and reworkings and all that kind of stuff. But uh I don't know. What do you think of all that? I feel like I, I think it's gotta be, yeah. Like it's been cycled through over and over. It's the classic like whisper a whisper a message at the end of the table and by the time it gets to the other end it's different. But that doesn't mean mm-hmm. to say that they have stayed relatively similar, at least. So I think, I, I have, I think there's some truth to the story about Grace. Yeah, you don't think it's just sheer legend? No, I think there's, there's a basis in it, in some, for something. Mm-hmm. Either she drowned and it got blown out of proportion or something happened, obviously. So. Yeah, I think so too. When I first heard this story, I was like, oh, like, that was probably her husband. He probably killed her and just blamed, <laughs> blamed it on it. the. <laughs> That's dark. I can't wait. <laughs> and I just mentioned it so casually. Oh, he probably just, you know. Probably. Most likely. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Uh, You're just smearing this guy now. He's been... <laughs> poor McLaughlin. Poor McLaughlin. <laughs> He's just trying to avenge his dead wife. And right. here I am just... Oh. Mm-hmm. But I, there is more to this, too. Like, that same Miss L.A. Walkington, um, in her same letter in 1896, apparently she mentioned there was more than just one tombstone in connection with this story. Mm-hmm. And that there's one that is supposed to be the grave of McLaughlin, the husband. And it also has a picture on it, too. And it's the horse that was allegedly in the story itself. Interesting. Yeah. So I thought that was that was kind of cool. Uh, she went into... Like, the original story that I read off the top of there was from her, and, and it was published by this royal society, as I mentioned. And, yeah, so she, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, right, that there's a lot of interest um, in this story, but then also more generally in otter lore and all this kind of stuff. Um, there is another creature, actually, <laughs> that's suspiciously similar. I mentioned, too, uh, earlier in the show here, that from Scottish folklore. Okay. There's this massive white otter with supposedly a spot on its breast. Ooh, so same, same very similar. Dang. Not a cross, but a spot. Right. And it is known as King of the Otters, and it's said to reside in this inner Hebrides area of Scotland. Huh. Uh, I'm probably not saying that right, but... Yeah, I, I, so it's, it, there's more than just the Dovaki in the, that area. Right. Mm-hmm. Either that or they're, it's all the same thing and it's being spotted all over the UK area. Could it's be. A possibility. It's possible. Yeah. So that was one of the most, uh, like, I don't even know, like, our quintessential story, I would say. Hey, we, we have a few more sightings that we're going to get into. That is definitely the, yeah, the quintessential one, mm-hmm. for sure. No, mm-hmm. you're right. Definitely. Yeah. So we, but uh, before we continue on here, we're going we're going to take a short promo break. And we haven't uh, played this one for a while, but uh, it's been in the rotation and we're coming back around to it. Uh, so this is for Monsters Among Us, hosted mm-hmm. by Derek Hayes. And most of you that listen to us will prob- probably be familiar with his show. It's amazing. It really is. So listen to this promo and make sure to go check it out, subscribe, Mm -hmm. and all that jazz. Definitely. In the shadowed recesses of our world, monsters lurk. Beasts from a bygone era, obscured by the thickest forests, deepest oceans, and darkest corners. 
Despite our reluctance to find them, an unlucky few cross paths. It's these experiences that we explore at Monsters Among Us podcast. My name is Derek Hayes, your faithful host and guide. Each week I explore calls from around the world detailing chilling encounters with mystery beasts, ghosts, UFOs, and a plethora of other strange happenings. You can find Monsters Among Us podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and most other podcatchers. Beware, there truly are monsters among us. And we're back. So, it's that time. It's time for the Coffee Gator Contest question. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm super excited about this, and Amber came up with this first one, and it's <laughs> awesome. So this is from week one, uh, or this is for week one of our contest. <laughs> Episode five, The Mongolian Deathworm. Mm-hmm. So if you guys haven't listened, you're going to have to go back and check it out. So here's the question. In episode five, Mongolian Deathworms, we covered the various ways in which the deathworm exacts its vengeance on the world, including death by electric shock and by spitting its fatal venom all over its victims. The question we have for everyone is, what was the plant that the deathworm consumes that along with enzymes produced within its digestive tract is theorized to be the source of the worm's deadly venom? All right. <laughs> so head on over to intotheportal.com and under the first tab titled Coffee Gator Contest, you can submit your response to the question to win this wicked French press from Coffee Gator. Mm-hmm. And you can go on. We have the photo up, I think. But I mean, yeah, you guys can go yeah. and see what it is. It's sweet. It's really cool. And yeah. And don't forget as well that in the meantime, you can hop on over to coffeegator.com and use promo code Quark, Q-U-A-R-K, and you will get 15% off your purchase. Mm-hmm. Sweet. I'm really excited about that. So yeah, uh, make sure you guys pop on over to the website. It's super easy. It's the first tab uh, right up at the top there. Can't miss it. And you really can't. And yeah, if you know the answer, come on. No Googling though. We're like, no Googling. I know it's honor system. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's honor system. <laughs> it's honor system for sure. But you know, pop, pop back over to that death worm <laughs> episode if you can't remember and, uh, you know, peruse through it. You can skip through that too. You know, it's kind of like Google except audio is slower. <laughs> <A little> slower. <laughs> Just do it. All right. Uh, you ready to get back into it? Let's do it. Cool. So we want to get into some hot spots for sightings and I came across a particularly interesting area and it's kind of uh it's interesting word it's called Srahin's Low or Lock okay it's kind of just a different pronunciation for that same idea though as like the like you know Loch Ness kind of thing sure it's on actual island though in the county of Mayo and apparently this is where the largest number of uh sightings of these Dovachu have been and a lot of people believe that there are actually a small population living in the lake and that they're actually migratory so they're not living in there all year round okay Mm -hmm. bouncing around from lock to lock it is yeah actual island is kind of one of those places um it's known for having sightings of other creatures as well and there was allegedly some sort of um dinosaur-esque thing spotted in the 1960s slash 70s and i kind of think that deserves its own episode so we're we're gonna save that one sure but yeah just some general stats on actual it's pretty large um fairly beautiful a lot of pristine wilderness and it's on the west coast of ireland connected to like we said the county mayo um by a narrow bridge and it's about 50 square kilometers so you know it's got a lot of room for things to be hiding and what do you make of that whole migratory aspect though I mean, 
I don't, it just seems odd for something that would be mammal-like to do that. I feel like if there yeah. were, if it was more of like amphibian, maybe, potentially, like, and maybe traveling through underwater passages somehow, and rather than on land, but of course the descriptions are it chases people on land, and it's <laughs> not like that, so it's odd. Seems kind of bizarre. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that. Me neither. Yeah. Well, yeah, so that was kind of one of the main areas, but of course... There's been sightings all over Ireland, supposedly. And another one was the... Oh my gosh, it's escaping me right now. The lake... Glenade Lake, obviously. Right. So yes. that was another area. Yeah, so we're going to get into some of these sightings. So one of the earliest ones comes from 1684. And this description comes from a guy by the name of Roderick O'Flattery. Sounds oh. like a character straight out of... Uh, oh my gosh, um, I can't believe it's skipping my mind right now. Cabot Cove. Murder, she wrote. <laughs> Murder, she wrote. <laughs> Doesn't it sound like a character from that? Kind of does. Anyway, but he mentions it in a book that he wrote, uh, It's called, which is titled A Description of West or H. Lar Connaught, which I have no idea what this book is about. I didn't actually check into that. <laughs> but I'm assuming it obviously has something to do with local folklore or something, because he mentions a story about a man who had a narrow escape with the creature almost being dragged into the waters of Low Mask, before driving the monster off with his knife. Hmm. So once again, the knife saves the day, like some of the other stories we've mentioned. What's going on with these lows slash loves, as they're supposedly pronounced according to YouTube? I don't necessarily... Yeah, what is the deal with that? (laughs) I'm just gonna just throw that out there. Because like a lot... Like Loch Ness is a big, big lake. A low would be... I don't know. Well, not even that so much. I'm just, I'm, I'm just confused on the spelling, the pronunciation. I know it's weird. The fact that we've got Srahin's low, and then we've also got low mask. What? That makes no sense to me. Either it's a, what's it called? An, <laughs> a precedent or an antecedent, right? It can't come. <laughs> it can't come both. I think Anyways. maybe we're getting bogged down in our lows here. Sorry. We yeah. Pop down to lows and see. Actually, I don't we know. don't have lows in Canada. I don't think. I'm joking. I mean, like, Lowe's the hardware store. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Prices are always low at indeed, Lowe's. Indeed. Anyways. But there was another sighting that came a little bit later. Actually, this is significantly later. So 1886. Mm-hmm. And this was from, this was the same one that you mentioned, the Miss Walkington. So yeah. just, that's worth mentioning again, just so we have the kind of chronolog- chronological order here of sightings. Mm-hmm. So she reported basically describing it as a half wolf dog, half fish, like you said before. I mean, that's pretty distinctive. I know. And it's kind of, this is sort of where we're getting into murky territory. Like, I'm not even sure if she's describing something she saw herself or describing something that she saw written in a previous account. Because this was part of the same, when I was looking on, it was like Ireland Central or something. Um, They had her mentioned in this article. They also had her seemingly describing the 1722 tale. And then when I was looking on quite a few different like blogs around the internet about this, um, they were somewhat, a lot of people were plagiarizing. So I saw like just complete ripoffs of just block quoting without any quotes around it. And just people claiming it. It was their own essentially. So I'm not sure where this originally came from. But yeah, this was definitely is something that we wanted to mention though, right? Because it's 1896. She does describe this half wolf dog, half fish. So it's very Dobartu esque. It is. And you have to wonder that it, it, if she didn't see it herself, you have to wonder why she was being interviewed about it. You know what I mean? Like, she we wrote, couldn't come she up. wrote a letter into the journal. Right. And they ended up publishing it for her. 
Like, why was she so interested in this? I mean, was she just a folklorist, or was she? I think, did, did she have some sort of familial connection? Well, you know, it's the eighteen nineties. I guess people are into on. that. Literally, I saw newspaper clippings from the eighteen nineties from around these parts, from British Columbia, that was literally talking about how Mister Smith, Mister Smith, went down to Mister and Mrs. Lowe's for a cup of tea, and then they went back home the next day. That's what people were writing about. So <laughs> that this was is an article on the news. <laughs> yeah. No, literally, it's like the societal, like, column yeah, or pages, yeah, and it's, yeah, like, yeah. talking about all this, like, random, like, rumors and just, like, why do you even care? In the Daily Herald, and it's always <sighs> called the something Herald. Exactly, yeah. This one was the Journal of Royal Society of Antiquities mm. of Ireland. Right. Yeah. Ireland. That's the only Irish word I can say in Irish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's how they pronounce it. Yeah. Oh, maybe you're That's close. how George Crabtree pronounces it in Murdoch. So. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it is a precedent though, obviously. Yeah, 1886, 18, mm-hmm. into the 1890s. Obviously, this was on top of mind, I suppose, yeah, as a cryptid in, in Ireland. I do get the, the response to Miss Walkington's letter from a Mr. Uh, Chichester Hart. And he, he again just sort of reiterated these rumors that were circulating of this gruesome creature. So I, again, like it's almost like they're just commentating on the mythology. I'm not even sure if any of these people had their own personal encounter. Right. It's kind of tough to say. Yeah. I feel like sometimes that always gets blended over the years too, where someone, yeah, like where one person's story ends up attached to maybe another person and another person and it's not really their story. Mm -hmm. Where have we heard that name Chichester recently? That's going to bug me. What's that um, from? There's Chichester Park in Kelowna. <laughs> that's a thing. No, no. Oh, George it's a. Uh, that's what it was. Chichester from uh, from Taboo. Oh. I think that was his name, right? Was it? I think so. That makes sense. Yeah. Chichester. Chichester. Such I a, love that name. Such a good, yeah, UK name. <laughs> we're all over the map today. No, we're good. We're good. Let's um, hop into 2003. Okay, I really liked this sighting here. And there is a little bit of inconsistencies, but there's a lot to it that I appreciate and that does fit into the original sort of, um, the, the myth from, 19, or sorry, 1722. Nice. And so, okay, this one came around in 2003. And it was reported by an Irish artist by the name of Sean Cocoron and his wife. And they live on an island called Omi Island in Connemara. I believe that's just a district or region. Okay. And essentially what they saw was this giant creature with dark coloring. So we're not getting a white creature. So it's kind of a little bit of a whatever. And um, it had these membranes for feet that it used to swim, supposedly. Right. Okay. So that matches with an otter. Exactly. And of course, he did describe it as being very fast and it had a haunting screech, which it kind of let out as it ripped away. And then I think it just went to the water. Hmm. So the haunting screech part definitely corresponds to that story, right? It's very reminiscent of the definitely. Grace and McLaughlin and how he heard the death cry of the Doachu and then the mate comes out of the water to avenge it or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's a quote here, actually, from Corcoran, Corcoran, or whatever. That's pretty good. I think that sounds Corcoran. right. Corcoran. And uh, <laughs> he said, it swam in the, sorry, it swam the width of the lake from west to east in what seemed like a matter of a few seconds. Uh, and basically, it finally leapt onto a huge boulder, and then before disappearing, gave the most haunting screech. Yeesh. Kind of interesting. I'm trying to picture, I'm trying to imagine what this screech would be like. You know what I mean? Like, is it like a, is it high pitch? Is it something like a, 
I don't even know, like the the squeak, the scream of like the aliens from Alien, or is it like a Godzilla, like like some low pitch scream? You know what I mean? I'm having difficulty trying to imagine that too, because what I come to in my mind is almost like a roar, like a, either a lion's roar, or like a cat, like a rare kind of thing. I'm picturing more Godzilla then. That's more to that effect, maybe yeah. deeper, a little more like yeah, like a roar than a high what pitch. Like, what about like a cheetah or something? Or like you know how in like Mortal Kombat they have that. <laughs> 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 kind of yeah. It's like that. <laughs> That's what that one person used to describe it. It sounded just like Mortal Kombat. No. <laughs> it's like you're living Discount that the day, man. Yeah. We should, uh, yeah, I don't know. We should dig deeper on that. Maybe we'll release some bonus content. I wish someone could actually, like, you know how, like, the bunyip has that, like, booming call? Right. I wish, like, you could just get, like, a list of, like, oh, my gosh, imagine this, like, cryptid ringtones, or it's, like, you know, like, <laughs> or, like, for, like, a text message alert, you know, like, that your bunyip awesome. boom. That would be awesome. That's a good your, idea. Yeah. Okay, well, if shout. someone else wants to do it, just <laughs> hook us up with, like, 5-10% or something. Just, like, you know, let us know, because that'd be sweet. I'd download that ringtone, get, like, a Yeti screech or something, like, yeah, right? that'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be cool. Do people still download ringtones, though? I don't think so. Maybe there's another use for this. Maybe, I don't, I don't know. know. Well, we have our ringtone up for grabs on Patreon. That's true. That's true. It's a nice little perk. It's creepy, too. It's our little lullaby theme That's right. song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's time to kind of get into some theories here, because we're seeing a lot of different things. Indeed. And, yeah, let's try and clarify that a little bit, because I feel like we're dealing with almost like an amalgamation of an otter, a dog, a bear, and then we've also got, like, a reptilian slash, Possibly, like, yeah. like, amphibious sort of characteristics getting thrown in there. So. Yeah. I don't even know. And then there's weird other things about it, too. Like, they, they are, are allegedly really dislike dogs. Which makes you think, does that make them more likely to be dog-like and, like, defensive against other canine-like things? Or does it mean they're not dogs, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, like, yeah, I made this note here where it's basically, like, otters, dogs, and bears are all very closely related. So the idea of a formidable otter makes sense in a way, but, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, they all are part of the same uh, sort of sub-order within the order Carnivora, which is called Caniformia. Okay. Or Canodia, or Canodia. 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 So most members of this group um, are, have non-retractile claws, even though some of them do have sort of semi-retractile, apparently. Okay. And um, most of them are tend to be plant eaters, with the exception of canines. Right. So, yeah, there's um, a little bit more things that differentiate them from feline formia, which would be the idea that they have longer jaws, more teeth, and they also have less specialized carnassial teeth, which I'm not sure okay. what that kind of plays into. Okay, but. so but just a different, like, sort of jaw structure and different things exactly. going on. Exactly. And there's, I feel like there's more variation, too. Like, it definitely within the family Canidia. Can, can, Canidia? <laughs> I feel like I'm totally saying that wrong, but basically <laughs> no, that's, dogs. that's pretty close. Canids. So including wolves, dogs, coyotes, foxes. There is a lot of diversity in this family as far as the body structure and the variations of all that. So, you know, you can get some interesting phenotypes going on. Definitely. As well, we do get the family um, Ursidae, which is bears. And they are the largest volcanic, or sorry, land caniforms. And then, of course, you get badgers. I was going to say basils. (laughs) Basil falties. Basils. You get the basils and the falties and everything else and the altos. And anyways, these guys are, yeah, they're all um, part of the family 
Musadalia. Well, I don't know why I made Mustelide. myself. <laughs> why did I write Mustelide? I don't know. You're brave. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think we about it. We didn't go through. I don't think you. I didn't do grade 12 bio. I stopped in grade 11. I think I think grade 12 bio was the only science I did. Really? <laughs> you should be. Have a little more. I was like 10 years old. I'm joking. Anyways. Um, yeah. So all I was trying to make the point of is that these are all within the same suborder. So we're hearing dog otter, we're hearing, like, you know, water hound, we're hearing all sorts of stuff like that. Like which half sounds, fish, half wolf. Exactly, and it sounds kind of weird, but when you put all of these together, like, the size of a bear, the sort of water tendencies of an otter, and the physical appearance, or face, maybe, of a dog, you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. it sounds like an, a strange sort of mythical thing, but it might be able to be a thing. Yeah, I mean it's funny. It that, might be able to be well, no, that that reminds me. Of, well, that, no, that reminds me of a photo that um, Matt Drew, a, a listener of ours and a friend of ours, uh, sent over the other day from like it was like some weird goat in like Iraq or something <gasps> like that. And you're looking at this thing, being like, "There's no way this is a thing," and it is a thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like I don't know. There's there's definitely strange amalgamations out there that look exactly like, even that other one that we came across when we were looking at uh, the Mokele Mbembe, That uh, interesting like. Oh my gosh, there's like a zebra and a horse and... You remember that crazy... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Okapi? No. Yeah, the Yeah, Okapi. the Okapi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. You say Okapi, I say Okapi. Okapi. I don't know. <laughs> Yours is more fun. I like Okapi. Right. There's another thing that I kind of came across here that may help us figure out what exactly these things are. And that is the idea that Dobarkus or Dobarkus are romantics, renowned mm-hmm. for having mates for life. And I don't know, like, what are a few examples of this? I didn't actually pull some up. There's obviously a ton of animals that do this. Actually, well, I wanted to find a precedent for this, if I could find it in the otter world. And right. apparently Asian small-clawed otters, which are a type of river otter, do actually mate for life. Interesting. They pick a partner, and they can have up to two litters per year. And up to 12 offspring. Okay. But that's that's kind of an exception in the otter world. Usually what happens is actually the females choose a male to mate with for life. Males can mate with however many females they want. Okay. And it's actually incredibly <laughs> brutal. Really? So apparently what happens is uh, the male otter clamps onto the female's face with their teeth and proceed to violently um, almost assault her. Oh, well, that's And then nice. I guess there's about, like, I, oh, the exact percentage, I think it was about 11% death rate amongst female otters as a Yikes. result of reproducing or mating. That I did not know. I know. That is a new, not-so-fun fact about otters. Not they so look cute. so cute. Well, I know, and you see them, they're, like, in the in the river, and they're holding hands and stuff, and <laughs> it's like, no, it's not all pretty, but... All right. Yeah, but so if, there like, is that sort of precedent. Though. Okay, but at least we have that to work with, because obviously most of the reports are seeing multiples of them, or the call of one and another come and run, and well, mm-hmm. I mean, if it's only one coming, that... that Sounds like it's a mate, not it like it's like a group of them. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I agree. So, yeah, I don't even know. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. There was this blog from the occult section here, and they said that, yeah, exactly what you were saying there. Um, when one is attacked or makes an attack, usually the other is lying in wait. And then if it seems to need some help, then the concealed one will pop out and <laughs> gnash some flesh, mm. quote unquote. <laughs> okay, okay. So apparently, if you're gonna take down a Dobar shoe, you better be prepared to take them both. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and that basically goes back to the uh, 1722 myth where yeah. they, yeah, the the guy and his brother McLaughlin and his brother end up taking down the second one who's out for vengeance. 
Mm-hmm. I like that though. And actually, you know, going back to the whole like um, the mating characteristics of otters in general, I like how we get both sides of the coin. We get this sort of a, a, a pairing, so to speak, in some, some examples, like with this Asian small clawed otter. Right. And then you also get the violence. You get this like. You know, like, it, it, it's a little bit vicious. And according to the legends of this Dover Chew, it's one of the most vicious animals. You've found a few parallels the here. The size it definitely adds to that. But, you know, like, imagine if you were the size of an otter and then you were <laughs> going up against that. Like, it would be a lot more intimidating, I would imagine. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I don't even, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. That's definitely an interesting correlation there, mm-hmm. for sure. But here's a really interesting question here though and we've mentioned this a few times throughout the episode and i'm kind of grappling with this are we dealing with a mammal or a serpent so like that bit of evidence that you just brought up i think leans mammal Mm -hmm. but the vicious attacks and the pursuit on land is definitely something that like a crocodile type creature is capable of and would do to like protect a nest or offspring or whatever right feeling threatened so I don't even know. Like, there's a cryptozoologist uh, from Ireland named David Walsh, and he's written extensively about the Dorbarku mm-hmm. and other creatures in Ireland. And he points out the fact that at least that it's the most realistic of the Irish legends, regardless if you're leaning mammal or reptilian, although I believe he thinks it's more likely to be a king otter species, right? Because yeah. when he looked at the famous epitaph that we've mentioned, he identified the drawing of the creature, or the, the etching of the creature on it to be that of the Irish shy otter, which can reach lengths over 1.7 meters. So a little bit, so like nearing six feet. Some of them possibly that's even impressive. over six feet. So that's pretty big. Mm-hmm. And of course, with cryptozoology, we're dealing a lot with sightings that are blown out of proportion. And we get that with so many creatures. Ogopogo sightings range from 10 feet to over 60 feet long. Champ sightings, same thing. This one's different because it's mammal related. Very rarely are we dealing with a water cryptid that's a mammal. Mm-hmm. I feel like, in my experience anyway. Yeah, you get more of the either dinosaur-esque description or reptilian-esque or serpentine. Those are the three that are most common. And there's no lack of those types of creatures in Ireland, too. So this is a little bit of an exception. And the only real sort of basis we have for that is... Well, I guess the size could be one comparable. We don't have any examples of offspring or any examples of how it mates or anything. No. Obviously, that's a mystery. We do. But then we get the fur, too. Right. That's the other thing. Right. So that kind of le- leads me to sort of go down that otter. Not yeah. to mention the fact I mean, to get that varying water. description from that 2003 where it was the dark rather than the white. So I wonder if that, do you think that would be like a gender thing or is it an offspring thing? Like it's not matured, so the coat's darker or something well, like that. Well, just thinking like I used to be really um, into like ferrets and weasels <laughs> and stuff like that when I was young. And there's a lot of differentiation between colors. You can get ones that are like almost pure white uh, with like tiny little spots. So maybe that would explain that one description where it was <clears throat> snow white except for the tips of the ears and then the cross on the back. Or there was one that described it all white with like a little patch on its uh on its chest, I believe. Okay. So it's not like it's uncommon or unheard of for these types of animals to have that type of coloring. I don't know. Right. I, I, I'm leaning in the direction that it is more so a mammal. Right. Yeah. And if it's a mammal, there's a chance that we're dealing with something similar to what we've mentioned before and that like a creature that survived over from the end of the Pleistocene era, like mm-hmm. with the, the bunyip, it was the diprotodon. Right. And there's lots of others like that, like that, possibly even Sasquatch related creatures like Gigantopithecus and things like that. Oh yeah, so but, you're, you're going down the whole like megafauna route? I, well, I mean, if you're believing it to be a real 
beast, and it, it's the size that it is, it's either potentially a, a, a super otter that's just evolved, I suppose. Hmm. But I, well, before it, we dive into the whole super otter aspect, I wanted to cover the Irish crocodile. Oh, yes, Because we had that mentioned quite early on, and Indeed. it is interesting because it is a huge discrepancy between... Uh, like a furry mammal, and then its name. It's it's the, this is one of the names. Well, Irish it is one of the names yeah. exactly. So I kind of I I don't know if I really buy into this, but apparently there was this guy Roderick um, O Flattery, and he wrote a book called A Description of um, the West. We mentioned Canada. it. We just oh mentioned right, it. yeah, this yeah, was yeah. the same book. Sorry, sorry, from sixteen eighty four, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was quite early, but essentially in it, I don't know if I'm describing the exact same one because we. See. Okay, well let's see. Okay, so essentially. There was a man. Oh, yes, yes, it's the same low. This is more detailed, Low though. mask. So, okay, it goes into a little bit more detail. It says that he thought it was an otter, but then it looked at him. Swimming underwater, it reached land and then grabbed the man by his elbow, dragging him into the lake. The man then took his knife from his pocket and stabbed it, which scared the animal away. It was about the size of a greyhound, so not massive, okay. but had slimy black skin and appeared to be hairless. Huh. So that's weird. That's but, like that's what an otter looks like in the water. I know that's kind of what I was thinking too. Is like their hair looks weird. Like it's very silky and it kind of just looks like an extra skin. Oh yeah, you they look like I mean? a seal. They look like mm-hmm. there's not no fur at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we get obviously like Rob over at Cryptonaut. Sorry, um, he wrote a little bit about this too on their blog on Cryptopia, I believe. Yes. And I thought this was really cool, and this does kind of tie into my leanings as well. Okay. It says here, contrary to its colloquial nickname, our research team has not unearthed a single report of this creature possessing any true reptilian attributes. This would seem to indicate that the Dover Chew's designation as the Irish crocodile is more a reference to its speed and ferocity than to its apparent genera. Genera or whatever. Yeah, genre. I would agree. I, honestly, I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I feel like it's not just because of the speed, but the clamping of the jaw. Like mm-hmm. the, the force in which, the speed and force of the jaw. Because you, you picture a face of an otter, it's more snub-nosed. Like, yeah. right? That matches up more with like dogs, bears, creatures like that, which it's yeah. kind of described as. But then that makes it a lot harder to grab onto your prey. Like that's why crocs and gators are so good at that, right? They've got basically, True. it's just a giant trap. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, literally, like, their trap. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, uh, the otter would be better at, like, gnashing and, like, biting away at stuff. And, like, with the claws added to it, like, it would be... Yeah. Whereas a gator's more just, like, grab and pull down. Yeah. Drown and swallow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're just using their mouth. They don't really use their hands at all. They're not very right. active in that sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm just leaning really far away from the whole crocodile thing. Really. <laughs> I'm just, can I lean a little bit further? <laughs> you can lean a little bit further. But this is a funny connection that I just had to mention. And it has a, a little bit of a Canadian connection here too, believe it or not. Oh, really? There's some cryptozoologists that believe that the Dolwarku is is definitively related to Nessie and crypto cryptids like that, and okay. that it isn't a mammal at all, that it's misidentified as that, and it is in fact some sort of a eel-like serpent or plesiosaur-like creature that's marine, or possibly even more like moving into Makele Mbembe because it can go on land and in the water, mm-hmm. not like a plesiosaur. So, but this is the fun, a funny connection to the famous lake monster uh, Bessie or South Bay Bessie uh, that's said to inhabit Lake Erie that crosses the border. So it's U.S. and Canada. But there's a lot of uh, Irish immigrants in the area. So legends about Bessie became sort of linked to the Doarku. Hmm. So there have been several sightings of this large serpentine monster, which followed the Irish along with, you know, on their journey. Mm-hmm. And 
this this lake monster is basically known by the locals of Ohio and Michigan and in the U.S. as Bessie, like I said. It's been sighted hundreds of times since, like, the 1700s, maybe even before that. I couldn't find any reference to it in, like, local indigenous folklore. It seems to have just been, like, a European thing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, some people have... Some cryptozoologists believe that this Bessie can, like the Dowarku, go both on land and in water. So there's mm-hmm. been sightings of it on land and in water. There's even been some deaths, allegedly in 1992, as recently as that. This creature was said to have killed three people on oh, Lake no. Erie. Yeah, pretty so crazy. So it's deadly, it's not just a... So aggressive, again, like the door yeah. too, as well. So you mm-hmm. can see why Irish immigrants would be thinking Quick they're related, sort of right? point that out, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What huh. do you make of that? I don't know. Well, other than the fact that it's both, they're in the water, they're unknown creatures and supposedly killing people, I don't see the connection. Like, they don't describe it as... Like, it's a serpentine monster. It's not, like, an otter-like or a waterhound or anything like that. I guess that's just more for people that, yeah, didn't buy into those descriptions, I suppose. What is more likely, though, really, that there's, like, a bunch of really unique sort of micro-pockets of species that are supposedly died out but are just living, like, as, like, you know, like, the remnants kind of thing and we're seeing all sorts of variations and, you know what I mean? Like, or is it more probable that... There's a few, like, few distinct types of creatures, like, you know what I mean? And then, mm. like, I, I, I'm i going to even go down the road here of saying that, <clears throat> like, what if we're even getting confused with things like, like a flying category, right? Where there's, like, you see things like Mothman, Jersey Devil, you see the Thunderbirds, you see all these different creatures flying. that are flying. Yeah. But what if it's more so just varying descriptions of the same phenomena? And then the same thing with, say, like, waterlocked monsters kind of thing, where right. it is the sort of, I don't even know. Just amalgamated together, kind of. Well, I don't know. Are these all dif- distinct, or all they, oopsies, as I knocked down my water. <laughs> are they distinct, or are they, you know, I don't know, just don't know. No, out That's there. a good question. It's very general. It's there's, very... I mean, there's so much crossover, it's kind of hard to say sometimes, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I just love the link of, like, the idea of, like, you know, you know, Irish people crossing over and and have having these legends and then seeing maybe potentially a very real phenomena and just attributing it to something in their past, whether it's even similar or not. Yeah. If that's your only frame of reference, well, that's is the yeah. Dobarku is this thing, this monster from the from the loch near your, where you lived or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's pretty sweet. That's well, not mm. sweet if you're swimming, but otherwise it's Would okay. Would you be swimming? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> And of course, the other idea here is that it's potentially just a giant otter, like literally just an evolved otter or the, what is known as the king otter, mm-hmm, right? And so cryptozoologists would acknowledge this as being like a new or undiscovered species, potentially. Another possibility is that it represents a link between seals and their land-bound ancestors. <laughs> and we have, we've talked about a precedent of this uh, with the NERPA, on Lake Baikal, which are just an endemic species to Baikal. The Nerpa. And, and their, their relatives of seals, and there's absolutely no connection to Baikal, to the sea. It's a mystery why oh, they're there. That's very true. Yeah, it is I a total mystery. Oh, and you know what's interesting? Like seals and walruses and all that kind of stuff, they are in Caniformia. Like they're right. very closely related to bears, um, right. all that kind of stuff, otters, and everything. So I, I, I thought that was interesting. Like, they're, like, think about that for a second. Like, it's a, it's related to things that came from the ocean. There's, like, it, I guess it, it happened over... Th- that's the thing, though. Like, people can't trace their evolutionary track. So they're just there at this lake. That's so weird. 
kind of might set a precedent for something like this if there are if there's a species that's maybe dolwarku dull, I guess so, yeah. Found. Is, yeah, that's, that's a very interesting link there. Yeah, and of course, we know how large, like, prehistoric megafauna could get. Mm-hmm. So if there's relatives of it, you know, ancestors of these things, like, they could definitely still grow to large sizes. Or if they are just straight-up survivors from the megafauna era, we know how big they can be. <laughs> but this was, what, like, six million years ago? Yeah, but we've got other precedents for that, like... I'm not going to give it away, though, right now. <laughs> like the bison. The bison, I've mentioned it a million times. And the mammoths, but I'm not, we'll, we'll get into that in another uh, episode. In due time, in due time. Um, very interesting. Well, okay, so you're kind of leaning, like, okay. We do have this, au- I don't even want to call it awkward, but it is a contrast, right, between more generalized folklore about this sort of, like, a king otter type prototype animal yeah and then a more physical real kind of population of perhaps cryptozoological kind of things going on here but i don't know the otter has a lot of significance in irish folklore and it's not always bad like we've said um like even the whole idea that it's like a lucky charm and all that kind of stuff um there's lots of lore, but even like, hey, you know the Voyage of St. Brendan? Yes, this is awesome. Of course. I kind of forgot about this, but in that story, it actually tells of how otters perform services such as like going to collect um, like food for them, going to get firewood, all that kind of stuff. So they were kind of like in service of his voyage. Right. Okay. His, you know, and that obviously had like a little bit of a Catholic leaning to it, right? Yes. Like a little bit of a religious thing there. So, And there was another one too. Um, there was this voyage of Mon- Malduin. And again, very similar, brought the uh, sailors salmon, and they came off of this island called the Island of Otter. Interesting. (laughs) They have their own island. I've seen that in Scottish folklore, too, actually, where there's this island where all these otters live and whatever So they're definitely revered to a certain extent. Mm Mm-hmm, definitely. There was this other um, Catherine Briggs, an English folklorist, and she was the first to kind of call the Dovarchu sort of a prototype animal sort of like a master animal, like the master otter. And according to her, there was this uh, story in the local lore where apparently there's this doohill, which is, I don't know, significant to the area. And there was this dovachu that was in attendance at this hill for whatever reason, I don't know. (laughs) Sounds like a Beatrice Potter book in my opinion, but he was in attendance of this hill in the company of a hundred other normal sized otters as if they were like I don't know, there to, like, revere him or something. <laughs> okay. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. Um, again, there was this other, in this blog called Trees of Life, they were talking about how, um, again, like we were saying, the lucky charm aspect, the idea that it can render a warrior invincible, like the skin, the pelt of it, as well. Um, oh, okay, this is cool here. It says, when captured, the Dovachu beast would grant any wish in exchange for their freedom. So it's almost like they have magical properties. That's definitely getting into more spiritual, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And even the idea that protection against drowning again. So if you're on a ship sinking, you won't drown if if you have a pelt. And uh, yeah. You need to grab one of those because I really will. I'll never go on a cruise ship. Well, doesn't it remind you of like an old version of um, like the Lucky Rabbit Paw? Absolutely. Yeah. A little bit more involved. A little more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're getting the paw off a rabbit, then you're presumably killing it too. Right. (laughs) 
Right. Poor rabbits. Yeah, poor rabbits. <laughs> it's not worth it unless you're, yeah, I'm using all the bits, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> not going to get into that. But I mean, that's definitely trickling into the realm here of, yeah, like creatures with spiritual value. And there's similar ones that cross over into Scotland and stuff. And we're not going to get into too much detail on them. But just for sake of reference, there's a few known as the Kelpies, the water mm. kelps. And yeah, it crosses into Scotland and basically they're known as shape-shifting water spirits and they inhabit the locks and pools of Scotland and Ireland. Oh, and wait a just... second, did we get a reference to this in Harry Potter? In the fourth Harry Potter when Ooh, they're underwater and, and they get oh. the Kelpies attacking them and stuff? Yeah, in the, uh, which one is that called? Is that the Goblet of yeah. Fire? Yeah. I think very similar. I think it Absolutely. was. Absolutely. So oh. it's like, yeah, it appears as almost like a horse, right? But is able to adopt other forms as well. So all forms of other animals, possibly even human forms. Or maybe I'm thinking of um, the Fantastic Beasts. Remember in the latest one, they have that like water horse that, monster. Yeah, thing? there was a water. That yeah. was so cool. That was really that sweet. That movie was freaking visually amazing. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's fun. Know. I wish there was Even though just I, di- I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> we should have rewatched the first one <laughs> before we went to the theater, but we were just like, screw it, we're going. Yeah, we're going. Yeah. Anyway, it was a good time regardless. <laughs> But, yeah, I don't know. What do you make of that? I mean, they're not really similar to the Dobarku, but... I like that. That's really neat. So, it, what's the whole spiritual aspect of them, then? They're just they're just around? Well, some accounts state that the Kelpie <laughs> retains its hooves when appearing as a human, so it kind of appears almost like a minotaur-like creature. Oh, interesting. And it can be for good or for bad. So, it has associations that are negative, like Satan, because of the idea of, like, goat hooves, things mm. like that, right? Yeah. Not really looking too hot in the eyes of... The, the Christian church. But, uh, yeah, and it's mentioned in a uh, 1786 poem uh, titled Address to the Devil. So, but yeah. Spooky. Yeah. I don't know. I I think that's interesting. Obviously, we're heading over to Scotland with that one, but, or was this just British Isles in general? It's just kind of British Isles in general. Okay. Yeah. But almost every sizable body in Scotland definitely has an association with this story. Um, But, there, apparently, it's most extensively reported in Loch Ness, believe it or not. Uh, so I, I never have ever heard that in connection with the search for Nessie and the actual Loch Ness monster, which is kind of interesting because you think it would come up. But yeah, it has lots of parallels to other things throughout Europe, like the Germanic, like, you know, like imps and things, Scandinavian, Bacahast. Um, yeah, and like, the obviously the bunyip is another similar comparison that it's, uh, oh, yeah, if you, if you partially breed, water yeah, and because some people think the bunyip's a very spiritual creature for the Aborigine of Australia and stuff like that. Very true. Yeah. They all seem to have that underlying aspect, right? And it lends legitimacy to it because it adds longevity to it. But then at the same time you do, like I said, get the sort of awkwardness between, are we talking about an actual physical thing? Are we talking about a metaphysical thing, a completely spiritual thing, or just straight up BS? <laughs> I mean, we're we're pretty much down to the end here. So yeah. let's hear your final verdict. Well, I think everyone really knows where I'm headed with this. I'm not going down the reptilian road. I would say that I, I don't think it's... Um, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that a lot of sightings could supposedly be attributed to this um, shy otter that was... Yeah. Identified by... David Walsh. Right, Walsh. And um, I think that's a possibility. I, reading more and more into, well, (laughs) doing some preliminary research into the whole uh, caniformia, caniformia, sorry, um, suborder, 
I think that's a very interesting road to look into I as think far so as too. what sort of ancestors and weird things could have been around in previous times that maybe could have remained in the periphery. Definitely. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I think I'm I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I think there's there could be sightings misidentified that are, in fact, like giant eels or maybe even sturgeon in some cases or possibly cryptozoological stuff like mm-hmm. Loch Ness Monster type things. But... I think it's, yeah, I think it's like the king otter's likely, for sure. I think it's just a giant otter that has yet to be identified. And when it is seen at a distance, is people are like, oh, that's a big otter. Or something along those lines, it's right? big-ass otter. But its aggressive nature is the most interesting thing. The fact that it can take down a woman, that's kind of... Whether or not, maybe it just got her by surprise, eh? Like, she was either, like, bending down to wash her clothes, or she was, like, bathing or whatever, and just got her at the neck. Just yeah. Right at the jugular. We don't know exactly the size of Grace, but that's still pretty impressive for it an is. otter, so... Yeah. Well... That's about it for this week. That wraps um, it up. We appreciate all of you folks for just being patient with us because we're I'm fighting a massive headache slash flu slash I don't even. It's know. been a bit of a rough rough week. It's been rough. It's, it's been a struggle for this episode to get out. <laughs> so we appreciate. All <laughs> yeah. You guys. So thank you guys so much for listening. And as usual, you can reach us. Uh, shoot your ideas over. We love getting emails into the portal mailbox at gmail.com mm-hmm. and as always thank you to our lovely producer charlene ramler of course. and to all of our patrons oh thank you charlene thank you everyone mm-hmm. and don't forget we do have that coffee gator contest going on right now so make sure you either a re-listen to episode five all about the mongolian deathworms and then submit your answer or just head over to the website and submit yeah. your We know out. some of you are going to know it right off exactly. the top. Exactly. So yeah. into the portal.com and it's just that first tab there, Coffee Gator Contest. Absolutely. And then other than that, yeah, come join us on the forum. We've always got some fun stuff going on there. Yeah, and add into the portal podcast and that that's exactly. about it. We'll let you guys know what the next Film Friday is going to be and uh, until next week. Until then.